You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven and Arthur Parkinson. And today we're going to talk about something that Arthur is really knowledgeable and enthusiastic about and he knows much much more about it than I do so I'm going to be led down the garden ponds and water garden path by Arthur. We've started with one here we've just actually got an old metal water trough quite a big one that was on the farm up in a field when we arrived and we dug that a huge chamber And it's a recirculating water chamber. So it just has a little tiny pump that just circulates the water within the water feature. And then it overspills into the tank below. And then it just recycles and recycles. I absolutely love it. And do you know why? I love it for two or three main reasons. The first is the sound. I really love the sound of water in the garden, which we've never had before we had that put in. And the second thing is the beauty of the plants in it, which we'll come on to. But the third and perhaps most important is I take a chair and I sit beside it or a little bit away and I watch the bees, butterflies, hoverflies and birds both washing and drinking on the sides of it because it's got a flat side to the water feature. So I am now, due to Arthur, much, much more enthusiastic than I ever was. So over to you, Arthur. Let's get everyone making a pond or having a water feature. Yeah, I mean, they were in fashion, weren't they, when it was ground force? I remember Charlie yes. Dimmock was the queen of ponds. She and I was. think with the drought we've had this this summer, ponds and any water in your garden has become a valuable thing, as, as valuable really as a wildflower meadow, if not more. Yeah. But they've not been getting as much attention. I think what goes wrong quite often with people who do ponds and they give up with them is in the first year, the water chemistry is really finding its own momentum. And mm. the best thing to help water chemistry is is a huge range of aquatic plants. And we had um, Linda from Waterside Nurseries on a few episodes ago who grows a lot of water plants. And we we both agreed that within a pond, you need by midsummer for the surface area of the water to be almost covered by between 70 to 80% leaf Wow. Okay. to stop the algae overgrowing. And that, what's been interesting with your wonderful water trough, when you first got it, there were no plants in it, were there? No. It quite often had huge amounts of algae. It did. But last year, you were given two water lilies. Mm. And since they've been in, I've noticed the water just seems completely different simply because you've got roots within that water taking up nitrogen and they're kind of making the the container pond that you've got its own little world through what their roots are doing and their leaves. And it's been so nice. You've had water lily flowers this year as well, haven't you? Yeah, amazing. And I was looking these up the other day, actually, and it said in the book that I was reading that water lilies flower in June and maybe July to the beginning of August. But I mean, I've walked out there today, and so we're right through into the middle of autumn, and it's still flowering away. So, mm. And I got the first photograph of it, certainly in June. So I reckon I will have had four months of flowering out of those two plants of white water lily. And I think the point is also, isn't it, that they're 
photosynthesizing and so they're oxygenating everything yeah and mopping up the carbon dioxide so it's just sort of generally a good thing to have and i've noticed since we've put the water lilies in and so i think we've created a healthier environment this may be pure coincidence but one of the things we don't have so many of here because of the lack of water is dragonflies and three or four evenings this year i've been in the garden and there's suddenly been what must have been a hatching of dragonflies. And the whole place is like there are literally a thousand dragonflies, all sort of like crazy helicopters over wow. your head. And that must be because mm. it's been such a dry summer. I think they must be coming out of that water feature. Yeah, they will be. They'll be using the um, the stems of each water lily leaf to crawl up. Um. And then they will, um, what's the opposite of pupating, hatch from there chrysalises so without your water lilies in that container pond they wouldn't be able to get to the surface to to hatch oh. so that that will be what the water lilies are doing for for your for your little pond gosh I, I didn't even know that and then instructions of ponds you know whether it be a water feature or a pond is the absolute key thing i remember a biodiversity expert explained to me is the flat edge and so the very shallow water uh, right on the edge of the thing because otherwise they can quite easily drown so whether you're a blackbird having a bath or whether you're a bee you need that shelf that water filled or covered shelf don't you yeah absolutely a beach particularly for things like hedgehogs a lot of hedgehogs drown in what are quite formal ponds because they just have a very smart edge the hedgehog goes and crawls for a drink he falls in and he can't get back up because it's just a very steep edge mm. so uh, you know the traditional very japanese formal koi ponds are actually often quite death traps for for native wildlife so it's really important when you're digging your pond for it to have a very gently sloping side all the way around because then all birds and as you've said mammals they'll be able to just crawl down have a drink have a bath but they'll be safe and be able to get out of the pond. So I think that's actually vital. Otherwise, the, the thing that you're digging could well become a death trap to lovely things. And I mean, talking of death traps, when we first came here, actually, there was a little pond. And our friends, actually, of you know, who came to stay, um, were very alarmed by it. So we started by mm. fencing it off. And then in the end, because it wasn't actually functioning very well, I'm rather ashamed and sad to say we filled it in. So this winter, we're actually digging certainly one and hopefully two new ponds here because I just think in a sort of particularly on an organic farm which obviously I've got the luxury of incredible space but you know even if I had a tiny garden I would definitely have some water feature or other. Mm. Yeah I mean I think as well as ponds what what is vital particularly for climate change which is causing huge flash flooding is to have not necessarily a pond but a wetland so places yes. if you're, you're lucky enough to have a huge field or meadow places where all the flash flooding water can can gather so more of a um, bog garden but you know not a formal bog garden just a, a mm. dip in the field and it's amazing what marginal water plants will survive actually on the dry side so all the irises like there's some really glamorous ones like black gamecock mm. that only needs to be sort of paddling for a few months of the year and it will be quite happy and spread in fact, the marginals quite often are just as glamorous as the water lilies. You've got things like marsh marigold. Mm. There's loads of – the bulrushes are incredibly fuggish, as romantic as they look in the wintertime. I'd only recommend you plant bulrushes if you've got a huge pond. But there's miniature bulrushes. 
and back to the irises they're just wonderful the the native yellow uh, iris that loves just to paddle and be in in wet soil not even necessarily water and so they're they're actually advising i read something the rhs has released last week they're saying you know the more gardens that can have just places that where the, these flash flood events can just wash into the better for you know housing estates and and anywhere really Oh, yeah, that's really valid, isn't it? And the flowering rush, that's another one that I used to love as a child. Oh, which is yeah, a rough I love flower. that. That's, but that's beautiful, isn't it, as a, as a marginal? And then both you and I love the garden at Chatsworth. And one of the things that is seared into my memory forever is that beautiful stream that runs through the middle of the kitchen garden. And on either mm. side of it, it's quite sort of boggy, or not boggy, but it, it's definitely a bit of wetland. And there they have, I think, self-seeded water forget-me-not, but also those amazing candelabra primulas. And yes. the, there's one called Miller's Crimson, which is really tall and velvety and the most luscious sort of crimson magenta, uh, pinky, purpley color. It's absolutely stunning. And they're pretty easy to grow, aren't they? Yeah, and they they use that stream to grow uh, watercress in, and it's harvested, you know, all through the year almost. That's so nice. And you can just buy a bag of watercress from the supermarket and p- put it into your pond, and it will very quickly, almost like a bag of cutting material, just root, and you'll have your own watercress forever. Yeah. So that's a nice thing to do. You just have to be very careful about eating that, just to say to everybody. Oh, do you? You do. <laughs> Because you can get liver fluke from watercress, so you have oh. to, you must cook it if it hasn't been grown in sort of properly cleaned and filtered water. So yeah, you must cook it because that that kills any potential. So you can make watercress soup, but you can't just have it raw in a salad. But anyway, yeah. lovely. So we've talked about beaches, we've talked about plants a little bit, and then what about the insects and the invertebrates that live? and depend on the ponds. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you brought up the issue of insects because I remember when when I was little, my mum always would make us a container pond in like an old sink or something. And what would happen very quickly is because small container ponds are obviously still water, they do become in summertime a mosquito place because mm-hmm. they like to lay their eggs in there. So what I do now that I've got a dolly tub that acts as my little pond in my garden I bought a solar-powered air pump, and Mm. it has transformed, again, the water chemistry because it's aeration, and aeration is really good for the the water in the plants, but because it's slightly moving with the air bubbles, the mosquitoes can't land to lay their eggs. And the good thing about an air pump in a small pond is you can still have a water lily because the movement of the water is coming from the, the bottom up, whereas if you put a fountain in a pond with water lilies, their leaves are constantly being splashed by the water and they can't breathe. The lily pads ah. like to be dry on top. So water lilies hate moving water, but an, an air stone type pump will mean that you've got water movement, but also happy water lilies. And let's just talk about the um, the pygmy water lily that I bought you once as a present that we put oh, into yes. your big trough um, a few weeks ago because you couldn't work out how to do it, could you? No, I couldn't. Because So I, Arthur yeah. gave me this beautiful little miniature baby water lily. So the, the, the water lily pads are smaller than half the size of the palm of my hand. They're absolutely diddy and sweet. Anyway, it's been a gilt plant for me for 18 months or so since Arthur first gave it to me. And 
The other day, I saw it again down in the polytunnel in its sort of bucket of water where Josie sweetly has been looking after it for so long. And I thought, right, your time's come. I'm going to go and put you, given that we've had such success with the white water lily, I'm going to go and plop you in with the white water lily in the water feature in the Dutch yard. And I got there and I thought, but if I plop this in, it's going to drown because its stems to the to each lily pad were only, I don't know, like 10, 15 centimetres long. So I thought I'm going to plop it in and the leaves will be down in the bottom of the thing. And so I, I, I said to Arthur when he arrived, what can I do to make this not be drowned? And he said, well, you just got to build it a plinth. So I hadn't thought laterally at all. <laughs> So he then went off and built with some bricks a sort of column to then support the pot of this poor water lily. So its leaves were perfectly floating on the surface of the water. And it's very happy. It, it will flower, I'm sure, next year. And it's beautiful. Do you happen to remember which it is? I'm not sure you do. It's Perry's Pink, I think. Oh, pretty sure. Very good. And I bought the reason I bought it you was because you've, you've still got this huge stone quite shallow bath. And I thought, yeah. oh, a pygmy water lily and that'd be perfect. I'd forgotten the dogs treat this stone bath as their little paddling pool. So that's <laughs> why the water lily has been in a bucket in the polytunnel for the past yes. almost two years. Yes. So yeah. <laughs> and then finally, uh, the, the other advantage of ponds is, of course, toads and frogs. And I know toads don't yeah. live in water, but tadpoles of frogs do. And they are the most fantastic munchers of slugs and snails. They have a voracious appetite really in the spring and will really, really help keep on top of your slug and snail problem. So lots and lots of reasons mm. to have a pond. And as you say, we don't have to associate them with ground force. They can be things of beauty, scale, or be tiny. They can be a water feature raised like ours, or they can be sunk in the ground but we should definitely all turn our minds to thinking how we can integrate them into our gardens. Thanks for listening to Grow Cookie to Range. Next week, Arthur's not with me, but instead I'm joined by Julia Parker, who's written a rather wonderful book called The Little Grower's Cookbook about kind of projects about growing and then cooking their own food. And so whether you've got kids or grandchildren, I found there were lots of nice ideas in here. So see you then. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.